0: So Emily, she's trying to hide the fact that she has not heard, she hasn't watched the movie yet. You've never seen
1: it? I grew up in the 80s and there was always something on the TV like when I was a kid and they didn't necessarily be like, oh, we shouldn't be watching this because there's a kid around. So it's possible that I've seen it or seen parts of it, but no, not as as an adult. And I wanted to listen. I wanted to watch the movie in preparation for today, but I was so focused on getting my freaking taxes done. And I got got them done early this morning and I'm so proud.
2: Priorities, Emily, (laughs) priorities. (laughs) (laughs) Did you hear that podcast? Podcast. Did you hear that podcast? Did you hear that that podcast? Podcast. Podcast. I watched the movie last night, or I watched half of the movie last night. As I was watching it, I was reminded of like all of the times. I I realized I've never actually watched it all the way through. Like I've seen bits and piece of pieces of it here and there on like channel 38 or channel 26 or something like that when it would come on when I was younger. And that's what I was reminded of as I was watching this, the feelings of, I don't know, I felt immense sadness, I guess, as a child when I was watching this movie. So rewatching it now and, you know, trying to watch it in its entirety, I, I, I got glimpses of that, uh, those feelings I had as a child.
0: Johnny, that's the depressing as hell.
1: <laughs> Maurice was so eager to out me as not having watched the movie that we didn't do our whole intro. We didn't say who we are, or any of that stuff.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that note, love, true love.
1: <laughs> I love how you asked me what that was from. Like I wasn't, I wouldn't know that that was the Princess Bride. I was just
0: making sure you was actually Emily. I'd make sure you was actually you. So I love the bride.
1: making sure I hadn't been body snatched. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's such a good movie. I used to watch it too much. Yeah, it I had is. to stop watching it every year. that's was, that was a great movie. That was one of the
2: movies inconceivable. Yeah, one of the like maybe ten movies that I've seen more than twenty times. Yeah, I think I'm in that same yeah. boat.
1: I don't think you I don't think you know what that word means. Is that how he says it? what's right. the quote? I
0: don't, <laughs> I don't think that means what you think
2: it
1: means. Yeah, there you go.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. And look, it's fine. It's fine that, like, not everybody saw the whole movie or whatever recently or whatever like that. Because, you know, the point is, like, we're talking about the podcast that talks about it. So we're sort of bringing them into the conversation more than the movie itself anyway. So. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'll, I'll do the intro now. All right. Welcome to the. <laughs> What's the name of my podcast? Oh, uh, that's what Did you hear that? Podcast? Oh, yeah. Did you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> we should change it to that. <laughs> welcome to the did you hear that podcast featuring two co-hosts with cooler names and minds emily Statstrong strong and jody buendo this is your moderator maurice carlos ruffin and this week we're going to talk about unspooled the podcast hosted by amy nicholson and paul shear covering raging bull in their november 27 2019 episode hey guys Hey, Hey.
1: I love how we started off this episode unofficially giggling about uh, movies. We're all clearly movie buffs. And I I think we need to call you the, not the moderator of our show, but the referee since we've been talking about boxing (laughs) and because me and Jody kind of like, you know, I'm looking for more boxing terms. Like we, uh, we jab at each other. Yeah. We duke it out. We jab at each other. (laughs) There you go.
0: Ding, ding. That was an excellent segue. I love that. Referee. (laughs) Well well look so you know here we are at, um the world's uh, most popular podcast so we should just get right into it with some industry news so this is an interesting news item i came across that um, like sort of warmed my heart but also kind of scared me so apparently podcasting now has its first official awards ceremony this is from Reuters news so this says that the newly formed Podcast Academy which started uh, last year, um, will, ho- will hand out his first awards, the Ambies, for the best in a booming industry that has run for everybody from Prince Harry and Kim Kardashians, uh, to a student with a smartphone. Apparently, some 55% of Americans over the age of 12 or 162 million people have listened to a podcast at least once, up from 36% five years ago. And uh, so I'm just curious, like, is this a good thing or a bad thing? What do y'all think?
2: Honestly, I thought you were going to say 150 million people have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I thought you were going to say. Because it seems like everybody has a podcast. <laughs> um, in terms of there being an award for podcasting, yeah, I mean, that's cool. It was, I mean, it was eventual. You know, it was going to happen. We love awards for some reason. I personally am not a big fan of award shows, but I do appreciate recognition for excellence. You know, so I don't have a problem with that. I'll probably never watch the event, but I'll be, you know, I'll probably check out whoever wins for best podcast or whatever
1: i mean in true fashion they shouldn't stream it they, they shouldn't have you be able to see it you shouldn't be able to watch it you should only be able to listen to it
0: ah good point good point <laughs> i agree with that and i can't wait until like jody wins like co-host of the year and he just like takes it all back what he just said <laughs> yeah,
1: i was gonna say this won't happen much but i completely agree with jody
0: um and so then here's our second news item and it's not really like a like a news thing so much as it's like a question so this isn't um vulture.com you know this new yorker magazine uh, to the new york magazine and they asked the question are we on the verge of a groundswell of misinformation podcasts? like what happened with youtube where you would go to somebody's uh, uh, channel and they would just like give you all this crazy information about history and politics that was totally untrue i haven't seen that in my uh, listening habits but maybe because i'm being um you know persuaded by propaganda right now, i don't know
1: remember I told you that one of the podcasts I was listening to to fall asleep like I would know just enough about some of the subjects that I'd be like that's not right so I'd be like falling asleep and I'd just randomly be like well that's a skewed perspective you know uh, it was a history podcast that you're supposed to be able to fall asleep to like kind of aimed at kids so yeah I have always I've been thinking about that like since I since I started recognizing that some of the things in that podcast weren't necessarily true I mean like they were they were being sort of presented in a very skewed way and that you know everything you listen to on, on a podcast is essentially being presented to you by a personality, by someone with a, an agenda perspective. And so I think, you know, you always have to ask yourself, what what are the possible blind spots of this person? Like, I might be amused, I might appreciate this person's perspective, but that doesn't mean like it's inherently true.
0: I feel that.
2: On, on one hand, it's, it's sad that we can't trust media anymore. But on the other hand, maybe have we ever really been able to trust media like there's the the saying history is written by the victor which in and of itself says that you know history is skewed to whoever you know ends up writing and whoever wins enough to end up writing it so all of it i guess is skewed since you know we weren't there i guess i don't know think
1: about orson welles war of the worlds right
2: (laughs) yeah
0: what
1: is media i mean like me and maurice are storytellers we're writers you know you tell stories about hypothetical matchups of box you know boxers and yeah None of that happened, but you're telling, you know, but there is reality and truth in what you're talking about because you're talking about the real athletes mm-hmm. in hypothetical matchups with each other. So, I mean, we ju- I think we just have to, we just need more bias training. We need more media bias training. Yeah,
2: that's where we are.
1: We're media bias training. <laughs>
2: so that's where we are as a country. Like that's where we are as a society. I mean, it's. I. I, I kind of wish we could go back. I used to complain a lot about um, politics and the media, and you know, this, that, and the other. But now, I. I kind of long for the good old days where you could pretty much trust that the information coming out of you know ABC Nightly News or NBC Nightly News was pretty factual. It was. Probably correct, you know, you know, but now there's so many sources and like everybody's in a rush to be first that even the the reputable sources are often wrong or often presenting misleading information or factually incorrect information. So. You know,
1: since I'm the queen of segways, I think I got a segue here where I can get us back to our regularly scheduled uh, segment. Speaking of that, one of the podcasts that I listened to this week as a podcast, I occasionally, um, Maurice always teases me that I usually have to start from the beginning and actually listen sequentially. Um, but I don't always, especially when it comes to like news podcasts. And there's a podcast called Behind the Lens. And it's the reporters from the local um, news organization called The Lens, which is a nonprofit news organization. And it's sort of them talking about about the stories that they've written about and researched that week, and it's really interesting because they do really strive for that independence and lack of sort of interpretation. They try to be just very factual, you know. They try for that journalistic journalistic standard that we've really veered very far away from. And I think part of the problem that we've engaged, we've encountered over the last couple of decades, in particular, but I think it was always the case. I mean, even with the dueling news moguls, you know, uh, in the newsies era, you know what was that just the turn of the 19th century you know there's always been money in news right and you have to like so many of our news organizations are conglomerates that are owned by like one person or a corporation outside of america and that's not inherently wrong or bad but it just opens the door to a lot of like well we don't want to tell a story about that or we don't want to tell a story from that perspective Mm
2: -hmm. But what about you, Jody? Did you hear anything interesting this week? Yeah. I was going to respond to what Emily said, but then I was like, that's going to be an hour-long conversation. So <laughs> <laughs> let's just keep it, keep it moving.
0: <laughs> this, this is the problem when the ref steps in it's kind of like pushing y'all with each other yeah. a little bit. <laughs>
2: All right, so what I listened to this week, so I, I've been listening to this podcast called Unfiltered, Holly Randall Unfiltered. And so Holly Randall is a an adult film industry um, director and producer, and she does a podcast that... Um, essentially exposes you exposes the listener to the behind the scenes of the porn industry and she had a guest on who's a sex counselor her name is keely rankin and the podcast was about sexual fantasies it was about men and sexual issues that men have in terms of like uh, premature ejaculation erectile dysfunction performance anxiety all of those things so it was, it was, it was, an interesting listen, an interesting listen, the fantasies specifically The she talked about how people in general, but, but men specifically will have fantasies that weird them out, <laughs> you know, it'll be things that they're surprised turn them on, but it's just a fantasy. They don't, it's not something that they would want to do in real life, but that they have had this fantasy freaks them out and I thought that was very've I've experienced that myself so it was interesting it was an interesting listen
1: well, speaking of that um, Maurice sent us a, a podcast that was kind of adjacent to the podcast you're talking about it's called call her daddy um, he seems to love this podcast but he sent the episode with Josie uh, Kinseko. it was really interesting especially in light of the podcast we're going to talk about today here but Maurice and I talked about sort of because he's been wanting me to listen to this podcast forever I actually listened to two podcasts this week. That Maurice has been wanting me to listen to, to forever. I deep dive finally into "You Must Remember This," and I got through like the entire first year of the show, like the first twenty six.
0: Inconceivable. Years. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think that
1: word means what you think it means. <laughs> but uh, and then the and then the Josie Conseco episode of "Call Her Daddy," which was you know it's two women talking about athletes as partners and dads and the sort of toxic masculinity, sort of like inherent in sports culture. And they're so they're Gen Z, I think they're really, really young women. And it was really like, I had so many thoughts as I was listening to them. Like on the one hand, I was like, oh my God, because they were talking about the games that guys play and you have to play the game that guys play in order to get attention from guys. And I remember like thinking like that when I was in my 20s. And I, so there was a part of me that was just kind of like, oh, oh, sweethearts, you know, like like where I felt like a big sister or like sort of like an older woman being like, it's not, you're not always gonna have this perspective. But that was also a little condescending of me because there was also parts where they would just amaze me with their sort of self-awareness and their consistency to themselves, like um, they were like, well, you know, I think it was Josie Conseco who said, like, there's times when I don't want to fool with guys. I really want to focus on my on my uh, my work in myself and I don't want any guys around me at that time and like that's a time for me to be really focused on myself and I just remember being bowled away by that by by the sort of self-awareness and the sort of like honoring of what she needs as a person as a as an artist, as somebody building a career in the world so I had so many thoughts during that podcast thanks for sending it, Maurice.
0: I'm glad you listened to it. I, I found the show interesting too I think what you both have mentioned are these sort of um, ideas that people maybe have a hard time talking about whether it's It's a fantasy that you don't quite want to live out or whether it's the way that people see young women in our culture. I find it fascinating. I think it's one of the reasons why we all love podcasts so much because you never know what you're going to get until you give it a chance. Right. Mm -hmm. That's right. All right. Well, look, on that note, we are going to go into our feature presentation and we're going to talk about, um, you know, I feel like uh, so far we have kind of been dealing with each other's favorite podcasts, And I I have to say, for me, this is one of the most consistent podcasts that I've been enjoying over the past few years. To me, the episodes are always quality. I think the hosts have a good sort of camaraderie with each other. It's always, um, you know, it's well paced, It's interesting information. So um, we're talking about Unspooled and it's their Raging Bull episode from November of 2019. And I mentioned earlier that the hosts are a film critic. Named uh, Amy Nicholson, who writes for LA Weekly, and Paul Shear, who is an actor who works primarily in TV. And before we get into it, I'll just say one of the things I really enjoy about this show is that it's like like a sort of old school TV show in that you get the sort of same format every week. Um, They always start out with like a cute little intro related to the film. They always go like a recap of what their listeners have said about the previous movie. They get to the film, they review it, they talk about how the film was made, they move into a segment where they will like bring in a third party and interview that person. Like uh, in this particular case, they brought in the DP from Raging Bull. And then they tell you what the critics say and, and what the movie has done in the culture. And then of course the cutest part is they always have a little Simpsons clip towards the end because the Simpsons tend, the, the TV show tends to have, have like um, parodies of the various um, AFI films. And I left, I left out that this particular podcast is basically going through the first, um, the top 100 AFI moves. So the so-called greatest movies according to AFI. Yeah, but they, they change in later seasons. Yeah, go ahead.
1: No, I was just going to interject and say, but don't they, they eventually finish that project? Well, oh, right? yeah,
0: exactly. Um, they vary uh, a bit later on like for example, each year they'll do sort of an oscar season um like their favorite films of the year and then do a separate episode for their for their fans if they like really find something interesting they'll do an episode on that so they did like uh parasite and they did uh joker when that came out and then in recent months they have moved to sort of like like modern classics so like they did mean girls for example and i think maybe robocop or one of those films so that's it so let's let's get into it this particular episode was about was about raging bull um a 1980 film directed by marty scorsese starring robert de niro and, um, Catherine Moriarty, as well as Joe Pesci. Uh, what did y'all think? Uh, Emily, you want to hop, hop in here?
1: So, I, I don't know. I don't know where to start. I had so, so many thoughts. I, I love that their talk made me want to watch the movie, but it also made me feel like I don't ever need to watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> it was such a good summary, I think, of the themes of the movie from different perspectives. That I kind of didn't feel like I needed to watch the movie, but I also kind of wanted to. Even though what was interesting to me was that they talked about how this was the movie that, like, their the fans of the podcast or the listeners of the podcast basically voted off the, the AFI 100 list and the one that everyone seemed like the least eager to get into, probably because it's so unpleasant. But a lot of those sort of classic movies quotation marks I don't know if you can hear it in my are in many ways very unpleasant. I was I was intrigued by the part where they talked about where Martin Scorsese was in his life. That you know this was basically going to be his last movie because he'd had a cocaine overdose. He was being critiqued by film critics as like overhyped and 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 letting people down with his his most recent movie New York, New York. And he may very well have just gone to Europe and made documentaries, as they say in the podcast. And not only that, but Joe Pesci was like going to retire from film because he'd been a child actor. You know, so I really liked the discussion about the world around the movie. I love the conversation about Thelma um I never know how to say her last name, the editor who has edited all of Morton Sc- Martin Sc- Martin, Sc- Martin scores Martin Scorsese Martin Scorsese's <laughs> movies since this movie. So I don't know, I had a lot of thoughts. Um I'm curious to see what what Jody thinks. Yeah, general
0: thoughts
2: Jody. Well, I liked this episode. Um and if I had only listened to this episode, I would have been like, man, I I need to add this podcast to my list, uh, you know, put it in queue, put a number of episodes in queue. I'm probably still going to do it. Anyway, <laughs> I, I thought they were very informative, very knowledgeable. Especially Amy, what's her name? Amy Nicholson. Yes. Yeah, I thought she was extremely knowledgeable. The way that she would connect just small parts in Raging Bull to various other movies, like in, in one of the, the scenes in Raging Bull, she said that uh, Vicky, uh, what's her name? Vicky Lamada, Kathy Moreno. Uh, let me start that over. <laughs> Kathy. uh Moriarty. She said that um, Kathy Moriarty, who played Vicky Lamada. Uh, she wore a gray dress in one of the scenes and she hearkened it back to Kim Novak and Vertigo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, wow, that's <laughs> that's very knowledgeable. How, how do you just pull that off the top of your head unless you are extremely knowledgeable, you know? So there was a lot of those things. Um, so it really surprised me. And in fact, I liked the episode so much that I went and found one of my favorite movies, Goodfellas, oh, no. and listened to what they <laughs> talked about there. So I was completely shocked and surprised to hear her take on goodfellas it, it was like so baffling to me that she <laughs> would have the take that she had from goodfellas after having listened to her talk so knowledgeably and eloquently on on this raging bull episode so i'm kind of torn i like the i like the podcast and i'm probably going to listen to it more but i'm also kind of a little salty about the <laughs> is, and
1: isn't the, the same actor in both movies joe pesci that, yes, that joe you were pesci that- is in
2: it de niro is in it um and it's the same director martin Scorsese.
1: Yeah, I have to say, and this is not exactly on topic, but it's kind of related because it's, you know, I'm going to tie it to toxic masculinity. But you, you described Amy Nicholson, who is a film critic, as being uh, willful in her take on Joe Pesci and Goodfellas. Willful? And I thought, that it, yeah, you said, I'm pretty sure that's the word you use in the text exchange. And I was like, I remember thinking, like, well, yeah, Jodie, of course, it's willful. She's a professional. She's an adult. Uh, like, she's, not she, not she's a, a title. Yeah. Well, what do you think you said? Let's go yeah, back I'm scrolling
2: through now. i trying to see what I said. I
0: don't.
1: <laughs> this will be a really interesting podcast while we all scroll back through our group text, which is like always
0: blowing up. Let's do up. the Wayne's World. loo diddly
1: But yeah, Um I'm pretty sure you used the word willful because it really struck me as a strange word to now, use. I said
2: intentionally obstinate.
1: Oh, but okay. Intentionally obstinate. But obstinate, doesn't obstinate mean stubborn? Like she's, she's holding on to her perspective and yes. her opinion. Yeah, but... she
2: is. but But she has
1: every right to do that she's a professional what i'm
2: saying is that the basis of her opinions are flawed that she's holding on to them okay fine but i'm I'm not sure why she has it out for this movie like the things that she was saying what i'm saying when i was saying she's being intentionally obstinate is that it's like she just she hates this movie for what seemed to me no good reason (laughs) and 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 like the things that she kept bringing up were like frivolous to me it's yeah. like why, why why do you hate this movie so much? It's like you like you just I, I don't know being obstinate for no reason. You know? you
1: know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, but movies and our take on them are so subjective, right? I'll have to listen to that episode because I'm really curious to see like what it was. And so, what do you think? Why do you think her? Te- no, this is off topic. Maybe Maurice wants to get us back on. Well, that. I was gonna
0: <laughs> say like the, the, the thing about podcasts is that they're like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're gonna get. And you know, like I didn't get to say like what my favorite was this week. Cause I'm, I'm the main person this week, but I'll just say like. (laughs) one of my Long term favorites is one called, um, Now Playing. And I think it's probably the, the oldest film podcast. It goes back to at least 2010. And I happened to hear, to hear the episode this week about Interstellar, which is one of my favorite films, and they just trashed it. And I'm like, I love these guys. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they're great, but they were just like, yeah, this film sucks. And they gave like chapter and verse about why it sucked. And I was hurt, you know? Um, but I guess mm. but, I, what, I, what I'll say is that, you know, it's part of what podcasts are like, right? Like, you know, people's subjective opinions and personalities may not always match yours. And, you know, it's just a part of it. And I do think that one of the things that the Unspooled podcast is trying to do, like I think their mission statement early in, this, in the first season is that, look, we have 100 films here. We want to go into these films and decide whether or not each one of these films deserves to be like in the sort of canon of the top so-called 100 films. And so part of their mission statement is to kind of say, all right, do we have too many films about boxing? Do we have too many films about a Martin Scorsese? Do we have too many Robert De Niro films? And then, you know, they'll sort of go back and forth on it. And I think Paul Scheer is the one who is more, more often to kind of say, no, I think it should stay here. And then Amy Nicholson probably takes more more of a a point of critique where she kind of goes, well, look, I mean, we got three other films like this. Let's kick this one off. And so I just think that's the sort of framing of of the whole show as opposed to they're all great. Let's keep them all and see how it sort of works out.
1: Yeah, but in this episode, it was Paul Shear who was like, "Well, we could lose this one," and she was like, "Yeah, first, yeah, that was a surprise." Yeah, and at first, and which I mean, this was my first episode with him, so but it, it still felt surprising. And then he and she was like, "Yeah, I love it when you." She used like a boxing metaphor. She's like, "I love it when you." I can't remember, or like punch up or whatever it was. But you know what's interesting to me is what you made me think of is there was this critic who who used to write for Entertainment Weekly named Lisa Schwartzbaum, and I, I've talked ad nauseum about how bad my memory is. So the fact that I remember this woman's name, she, she would almost always disagree with me, or I would almost always have like a disagree, like a opposite opinion of movies from her from uh, books from her, she, um but she was so incisive and funny. And, and just like, like her, the way she wrote about her opinions, it was like, it was like, I read her reviews, knowing I was going to disagree with her. And so if she disliked a movie. I was like, well, I'll probably like this movie, you know, but it was like, I kind of have a playful relationship with her in my head, you know, about like, oh, she's going to hate this movie. That I really liked. <laughs>
2: Uh, that was funny when uh, they quoted, uh, was it Roger Ebert, his yes. critique of this other movie critic? <laughs> yeah, John Simon. He, he was like, basically, this guy's a bastard. He don't like movies. <laughs> you know, fuck know him. People. Oh, whoops, can I say that? Yeah, you oh, know. Let's just us. <laughs> yeah,
1: come on. All of the best podcasts, like, use language sometimes. No!
0: I, I was gonna say, <laughs> like... Maurice, I,
1: you don't want us to cuss?
0: No, I was just gonna say, like, um, look, I had never even really heard of John Simon. I mean, I'm sure I must have come across his reviews back in the day, but when he said Said that I like went back and looked online and I was like this dude was a complete right. jerk like he didn't like no movies and he was and the thing is he would always like pick an actor and like critique how they looked so he would go like you know so-and-so looks like a rat or this lady is like 10 pounds overweight I go no way no way
1: yeah, Pauline Kale. like they they read part of Pauline Kale's like uh, critique of Martin Scorsese. And she was one of the, the critics who was saying that he was really over, um overhyped, you know, and that it, that was really interesting to me. I don't know if they always talk about critics so much in the podcast, or if it just happens to be in this. They one. do
0: every episode, they will go into that uh, towards the end.
1: You know, um, oh, what was I gonna say? I can't remember. <laughs> My <laughs> freak just just had a brain fart on air is
0: this early onset dementia? Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> probably <laughs> amy nicholson is my kind of woman because you know that i have been railing against the sort of rugged individual concept of america and like the men who made america like in the history network sort of ad nauseum Wait, Talking do that about voice again? Things, the men who made america <laughs> that's great I deepened it even more the second time you like that. But the fact that we have five boxing movies on the list of 100 best movies when supposedly America's sport was baseball and then now more more recently probably football, which are both team sports, you know, like the individual isn't necessarily as, as important as the team and the team dynamics, you know, even though you have great individuals who've played the game. It is really intriguing that we keep making movies about boxing, individual sports, individuals who... Who do amazing things and completely neglect the indi- you know the groups that are that are behind the individual and that makes me think of the auteur theory you know and at one point uh, Amy Nicholson and this is I think when I fell in love with her a little bit she's she's she joked raging auteur, mm-hmm. right uh, Maurice and I have talked about the auteur theory and what bullshit I think All it right, is what's the theory. Well, the theory is that there's one individual who's responsible for the quality of a movie, and that's the director. And basically, you know, the auteur theory is like usually an individual man. Um, I don't, I can't think of a female auteur director, but maybe I'm just not trying hard enough, but I don't think they really exist. And if they do exist, like for instance, Catherine Bigelow was got an Oscar, it's for usually doing topics that are very masculine, very violent, that kind of thing. So it's this idea that, you know, there's only one personality. There's only one artistic vision on a movie. Even though there's a lot of people coming together to make that movie, they're basically all sort of like, you know, slaves to the vision of the auteur director. And I think it's very damaging. I think it's very damaging to movies. I think it's very damaging to the directors. I think it's very damaging to professionals who are working with them to make a movie happen. And I, I went a little <laughs> far afield. But what
0: you, what you were going to say.
1: I, I was, no, I was just really intrigued by, by Amy Nicholson's sort of joke about raging tour and then also like pointing out that we have so many they both pointed out we have so many boxing films on this was which is an individual sport as opposed to a group well, sport what, you know what, a team I was, sport. what i was gonna
2: say about that was I, I think it's more about violence than it is and, and individualism definitely has a, a part to play in it but we don't have many great tennis movies or hollywood doesn't love golf movies you know which are also individualistic sports but they just lack the violence of boxing you know like hollywood loves a war movie so i think um violence has i I would i would say a greater part to play than individualism though i I do agree individualism is is a part of it
0: well can i just chime in and say i I think there's probably something about masculinity and race also a part of it because if you like ask people let's say over the age of maybe 30 like who's the greatest hero in movies and like exclude like the mcu and the recent like comic book movies they might go oh well you know it's rocky bell boy it's just one man who comes from nowhere and you Know, overcomes the odds he takes care of his family and all that and you know they mentioned in the podcast that you know there were four or five movies on the afi top 100 list you know like one you know what fifth or one tenth whatever it is um of the list that are about boxing and of course you know all these lead characters are, are white males and you kind of have to get to like a 100 years out before you get you know creed starring michael b jordan is like you know a black male character and even before creed so 80 or 90 years in you get Hilary swank at, you know a million dollar baby but of course you know spoiler alert she doesn't have, like, have a really heroic path in that film but i think that, that the reason why I really appreciate Amy Nicholson is because she's always giving me the sort of other side of the um, critique. Just like a, a side note for myself is that whenever I watch a film I often go to uh, Rotten Tomatoes and just see what professional critics have said about it. And one thing I will always do is, it says like 50 reviews um, on, a, on a post by professional critics. I'll try and only read the ones by women first. And I do that because often there's only like one or two or maybe three, if that. And you know, ultimately like their reviews always more different from everybody else's reviews than like the 10 top guys who will kind of always saying the same things. So I just really like her in this sort of uh, role in the podcast of being that person who's sort of bringing it in. Doris Day was wearing this dress in this film that's just like the one that uh, Catherine Moriarty is wearing. Or you know, isn't it funny that we have like all these films with you know uh, Robert De Niro in the lead role and they're all on, on top of this list. You know, why is that? I think a lot of other people wouldn't ask those questions. And so I just really appreciate that about her.
1: Yeah. And I remember what I was going to say earlier, and it was basically like, um, she's basically the kid in the group project who does her homework. It, it, Cause like Jodi said, she has to know movies really well to pull this off the top of her head. And she's probably pulling some things off the top of her head, but she's not pulling everything off the top of her head. She's doing research. She's, you know, she's connecting the dots. She's thinking about it. And he, he's sort of like the comedian, you know, the comic relief. And he, he, you know, he doesn't seem as invested in like doing any research or his, doing his homework, at least from this episode, because he acknowledged a couple times in the episodes that he didn't do any research. So I think it is really interesting, not just that it's a man and a woman, but it's like a woman whose professional job is to sort of view movies through this critical lens. And then a man whose professional job it is to be in films. I, I think that's a really interesting dynamic. Can
0: we talk about, um, I always appreciate, you know, any of these podcasts where they sort of get into like this sort of production of, you know, Know, film or music or whatever it is. And, and they always make it a point to sort of talk about like, the look and sound of the film. So in this in this episode, they talked about how, you know, for example, Raging Bull is the first boxing film where the camera is literally in the ring for all of the fights. Mm-hmm. It's never like off to the sideline. And they talk a little bit later in the episode about how, you know, whenever you are in Robert De Niro's um point of view, you're sort of like hearing the crowd cheering and hearing the punches being thrown. But as he sort of gets older and gets more beaten up, they start adding in these sort of animal sounds and machine sounds and it becomes more and more intense tense and more distorted
1: and And that also
0: and it slows down. I just thought that was fantastic to sort of get those details of how it was put together.
1: Yeah, I I that made that's what made me want to watch the movie to be honest. Um, but I thought it I thought it was really interesting. Like, podcast is a is a weird medium, you know, for talking about a movie because they can play clips from the movie and we can listen to it, but we can't necessarily see it unless unless we go outside of the podcast and go watch it. So it's a very interesting medium, and I really liked how much they talked about the sound effects in this movie, like the melons for the punches and the gunshots for the you know the photo flashes, the animal sounds of the crowd and, and and all of that, that it was really interesting. And it made me think of the remake of che- Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where I was so freaked out by it that I couldn't like watch the film. And I went with my boyfriend at the time and like had my face buried in his shoulder the whole time. And he told me later that I was probably more scared than anybody else because the acting was horrible, <laughs> but the sound effects were great.
0: <laughs> Wait a second, uh, p- point of clarification, were you on that film?
1: Oh, I didn't work on that movie, no. That was, okay, I was- I just, in- just making sure. I was still in college when that when the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out. Okay, but, but I, I was
0: on. <laughs> Emily Stadstraw was a, was a you know a big film person for, for quite some time worked on oh, many different know. films and I did some very minor work but nothing like what, what she did
1: so I think what you're thinking of is I was and I was working on Final Destination. Okay. I was a fan of Final Destination as a kid the first one came out I think when I was still in high school and then by the time I worked on one of the Final Destination movies it was the 5th one and it was literally called The Final Destination and I remember reading the script <laughs> being like I don't believe them this is not going to be the last one and there've been like two or three
0: since. Thank <laughs>
2: Jody, you were. Well, oh, yeah, say. no, I was gonna add to what, what y'all was saying about the cinematographer said that he filmed it in black and white because of the prominence of boxing in the forties and fifties when these events took place and how boxing was in black and white. So to you know, harken the movie back to the time period, you know, they, they used the bat in mm-hmm. black and white. And also Kathy Moriarty looked like a woman from the forties. You know, she looked like a movie star from the forties and fifties, you know. So yeah, like a lot a lot of the elements were they, they, they transported you, you know, a, a lot of, like you were saying with the gunshots and the, the melons and everything like that, like how it got, gave you a certain, a certain feel. I think the black and white did as well. You know, the, uh, the wife, Vicky Moriarty was accurate. Like if you look at pictures of the real, oh, I said Vicky Moriarty, <laughs> of uh, Kathy Moriarty, yeah, did. <laughs> if you look at pictures of the real, uh, Vicky Lamata, they look like sisters. Like they could, they could legit be related. Like. I mean it is it was just very accurate I thought you know very authentic
1: Yeah and you know hey, like that's I- I was going to say that Shear said something about it being like a biopic and like maybe it wasn't qualified to be in the top 100 because it was a biopic but I think it was all of these technical aspects in the movie that maybe got it there.
0: Yeah you know one thing that I think is like a secret weapon for this show Unspooled, is that they always will bring in somebody from the industry who can like comment in a very special way about it. You know I think one episode they actually brought in um, Olivia de Havilland mm. who was the sister in Gone with the Wind and she was like 100 years old when he had it on the episode and she was hilarious. She had like memories of being on the Instead of going with the win and you know, joking about um, uh, Catherine O'Hara, and so you know, and so in this episode they bring in this DP, Michael Chapman, and this is somebody who had worked with um, Scorsese a few times. It's interesting to get like all these sort of insights about what was going on uh, throughout the filming. And I'm not sure if he was the one that mentioned this or if it, if it was Amy Nicholson, but just just that that fun factoid that one week Scorsese was sick, so they brought in his he brought in his dad to cover the wedding scene. Well,
1: week, Amy and direct yeah.
0: that. I mean, yeah, yeah, she said that. But just like those little fun facts, to me, it's like catnip because it's just it's so behind the scenes. I thought, what do you always,
2: guys, oh, go, ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. You know, I was gonna say what I what I thought was hilarious about that interview is that guy also worked on Space Jam, and he was like, "Wait, <laughs> you like Space Jam? Yes.
0: The <laughs> movie was, <laughs> was, <he> was, <laughs> <he> was trash." <laughs> I mean, it was doubly hilarious because Amy, Amy, being Amy, she didn't say she liked it. Like she, like he, couldn't force her to say she liked it, but she didn't like it. And he didn't no. want her to like it. Well, she
1: said, she said she it was it was influential because she watched it as a kid, and he was like, oh yeah, you watched it as a kid. I get, yes. I get it.
0: <laughs> right.
1: You actually said Ka- uh, Ka- Catherine O'Hara uh, was in Gone with the Wind, Maurice, and I, she was not in Gone with the Wind. <laughs> Yeah, I think you're thinking of Vivian. Wait, what, what is her name? Uh, Vivian Lee. Vivian Lee. Yeah. I think yeah, that's yeah. who you're thinking of. Well, you know,
0: all those group br- brunettes look the same. So. Uh,
1: yeah. That's why I had to correct you. Cause I'm like, they're very, very different actresses. I thought you were in it. Anyways. I think what I really liked about this episode is it's made by people who love movies. And it, and I think listening to this episode unspooled and like deep diving into you must remember this, like kind of rekindled my love for movies a lot this week.
0: Mm-hmm. Y- yeah. And you know, I-, I think that's really one of the things that podcasts have to offer. Um, I mean, you know, I don't want to go on a tangent too much, but, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of learning about different cultures and, and I have friends who live in Japan. And what I always admire when I communicate with them is like how deeply they have these sort of subcultures for different things, whether it's anime or manga or different types of sushi or whatever you want to name. One of my friends literally has a business just making fishing lures. He is like, he makes a lot of money just making these high quality handcrafted fishing lures. And I really feel like a part of podcast culture is that like people all across the country and the world are able to like really deep dive into their passions. And you know, not be sort of hemmed in by what like a sponsor might tell them to talk about, or about what they might think is popular. They can just kind of go, "This is what is interesting to me," and they can just sort of you know just follow their interest to its logical conclusion for every episode, which is why I think this podcast works so well, in my opinion.
1: This film is clearly about toxic masculinity, and and it's no accident that Martin Scorsese was intentionally like investigating that. And I love that Thelma Schoonmaker, and that that's her last name. I was forgetting it earlier. That this was sort of like the first. time that they worked professionally together once Martin Scorsese was a big name. Um, And a lot of people think that's where their relationship started. But I love the story that um, Amy Nicholson told about, no, they actually met 10 years before when he was a film student and she was asked by his film professor to fix his student film. Mm -hmm. So she fixed his student film for him and helped him out. And then she couldn't get into the editor's union because they wanted her to do all this apprenticeship when, that she was too experienced for. And they wouldn't let her in at the level she actually was. And so it was Martin Scorsese that was like, you need to like put her in the union because she's the one I want editing this film. And that's something I was going to say earlier about like the technical aspects of a film can really... This is why I don't believe in the auteur theory because you, know, you could have one or two things in a movie not be as good as you wanted it to be. And you can fix it with other things, right? Like I was having a conversation with a couple of friends that I worked with in the film industry when we were going to make something together. And we all agreed that one of the most important things to get right is sound. Um, Because that's one thing like you can make a film, especially these days, really, really cheap. But one thing you really can't fake is sound. Um, And now that we're in a podcast, sound recording is getting cheaper and easier and better too. But it's one of the hardest things to, to fake. So anyways, and editing is another one of those things. Like editing can really polish an okay film into something that is you know a classic.
0: I have a question for each of you and I'm going to do it in turn. I'll start with Jody and then I'll, I'll go to you Emily. Um, so so Jody so you're our resident boxing aficionado and um, I, I found it really interesting listening to the various people whether it was the two hosts or whether it was the DP talk about like boxing in the film and I'm just curious if there's anything about like the way it was talked about that sort of you know caught your ear you know sounded great or sounded kind of a little off I mean or the film is Raging Bull, which, of course, is about this boxer both in his quote-unquote prime and then a little bit later when he's washed up. Any thoughts about that? Well,
2: they seem to be very impressed by the boxing scenes. You know, the whole thing about the camera being in the ring, which I guess was revolutionary at the time. But as a boxing fan and watching the movie, watching those scenes, I thought they were pretty terrible. (laughs) I did (laughs) not care for the boxing scenes in in Raging Bull. And, I mean, that goes for most boxing movies. Rocky, the boxing scenes are terrible.
1: Well, why? Because they're, they're not realistic.
2: Like, there's, they, they don't look like real boxing. They don't look like a real fight, you know? It looks staged. It looks crafted. And and, it's, and, and, and Rocky. Can I
0: ask you, like, in, in a situation like with Raging Bulls, so I know one of the techniques is that, like, for the most part, all the boxing is through the boxer's eyes. So either you're in De Niro's, you know, POV, or you're in the opposing boxer's POV. So you're just, still, like, seeing them sort of square off and punch. Like, is that really, like, bothering you as a boxing fan or is it something else um, also?
2: It's that, but I wouldn't have a problem. With it, if the non POV scenes looked like real boxing, because then I then I I would get all right. So they're doing something artistic here, you know. Obviously, as a, a fan of boxing, I'm never going to be able to w- watch a fight from the perspective of a Mike Tyson or a Floyd Mayweather, you know. So I can I can overlook that from a boxing perspective, but the non POV scenes also didn't look realistic. They didn't look credible. So it just I I don't you know I don't like them. I I. So so more recently in in the creed franchise they started bringing in real boxers and they would have in the first creed they had uh what's his name Michael b jordan have a real fight with a real boxer you know what i mean so the fight looked real because it was a real fight you know <laughs> so it just it just looked so much better it was so much more realistic <laughs> it was so much more captivating but they didn't do that back then you know raging bull Rocky uh you know whatever other boxing movies the the, the boxing usually looked
1: so it's probably for the best that there was only ten. Minutes right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so here's like, a question: um, Did uh, you watch uh, that clip of? Yeah,
2: oh, it probably is did. You watch that clip was... that
1: Maurice sent us—the Idris Elba clip of him kickboxing? No,
2: I didn't see that
1: because they basically did the same thing that they put him in a bunch of bouts with actual kickboxers and the kickboxers were like yeah i'll let him i'll let him fight for 30 seconds or so get let him get a you know like get <laughs> let him get a bit of a fight in but then you know but then i gotta kill him
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but then his trainer basically says like that's deadly to underestimate him because they've been he'd been going through what looked like really rigorous training to actually kickbox yeah
2: yeah no that's cool that's because that's how it should be you know if you're gonna film a kickboxing movie then you should kickbox you know know know, for some extended period of time so that it looks real so that you're in a real bout.
1: Say, Jody, you must be a fan of method acting. They talk, they talk <laughs>
2: about the method acting. Yeah, I was, exactly. They were talking about how De Niro gained all of this weight. Honestly, that's another thing. Why I feel like he wasn't old and fat in the movie enough <laughs> to justify him putting on all of that weight. But you know, they, that's method acting, I guess. So if we're gonna yeah. do that, then we should do the same thing with the fight scenes. Yeah, that's a really good maybe point.
0: part of what makes the movie feel so fake. To Jody, is that like Scorsese himself? I think, as Amy Nicholson told us, like he didn't want to make the film. He was not a, a sports fan or a boxing fan you know or, or a, a Lamont fan so like he's kind of doing it all against his will yeah on the flip side of it I think that maybe the reason why movies like Raging Bull or Rocky and others were so successful is because you know like I mean as a creative person I know that like when you're making something that is basically a fantasy people often respond to that more than they will to reality which is why for example you know Star Wars is maybe the biggest film of all time versus like you know a documentary about people you know making airplanes and flying around during World War II Emily UNC I want I mean to cut you off? Yeah,
1: I was just going to say. Actually, I was a little uncomfortable with the way Paul Shear talked about weight in this move uh, in this podcast episode. Well, that's a segue. <laughs> yeah, just because. Well, he said that he had gained thirty pounds for a role in a TV show recently, or no, lost. He had lost, and Amy Nicholson was like, "Oh, you know, and you know, well, you look great, you know," and but expressed some concern about him losing that much uh, weight. And he was like, "Oh no, you know, actually," and and he could have been speaking for himself, but just sort of the blithe way that he said it made me really uncomfortable. Where he said basically, "Oh, well, losing weight is is nothing compared to gaining weight. It's not not nearly as bad." And and I would beg to differ. That gaining or losing that much weight can be bad depending on who the person is. But losing can be just as bad because the thing that I've learned is that it triggers your body to then think it's starving and add weight. And it's the yo yo ness of adding and, and losing weight that actors do sometimes can be very damaging to their health. And it's both sides of it. And that's not just for actors, that's with anybody that is dieting. So there was a, there was a part of me that felt like it was a little irresponsible the way that he talked about weight loss. I don't want to get too personal here, but that's something that Maurice and I have talked about in the past.
0: Well, you know, that's a, that's a segue to, you know, another the question I want to ask you, which basically relates to identity and how it's sort of dealt with in society and spoken about. So you sort of alluded to it earlier, and you brought up uh, Thelma Shoemaker, who was this experienced editor, mm-hmm. um, you know, fantastic at her work, and who basically had, you know, to have Scorsese vouch for her in order to work in Hollywood. Then we also had the story that was related to us in the episode about Kathy Moore. Not being able to get a sad card because she didn't have any experience, and again, I think it was Scorsese who had to, or maybe it's De Niro who had to, beg to, Pesci, yeah, Pesci yeah, had to beg to get her into the show. yeah, and I was a little uncomfortable.
1: Sheer was like, fuck her and it was this really uncomfortable, like intense moment. And I was just like, uh "I think he's just trying to be funny," but she seemed really taken aback by the aggression of that question. Yeah, he, was doing,
2: he was doing, he was doing Lamata. He was, he was doing yeah. <laughs> a scene, like basically a scene from the movie.
1: I don't know if they film in person, but like that would be really startled yeah. and just have your like co-host just start being Lamada like right next to you all of a sudden
0: well you know I have to say like it's one of the dynamics of the show is that like I mean he he's a pretty good actor considering he doesn't have like a huge Hollywood career and so often he will like go into a character right in the middle of it and, and I give like props to like your relationship <laughs> because she never flinches she never like goes that's too much she kind of goes I see what you're doing you're doing this line from the show I can't sing sometimes she's like doing <laughs> a weird act?" she may be
1: saying that they just edit it out <laughs>
0: That's <laughs> true. I mean, that's the top of possible. She, that's could possible. Be,
1: she could be like, reel it back, dude, you know, especially like if they're in the same little recording booth together, like, so that's something I well, did want well, to, yeah, you didn't th- ask your question. There was a
0: second part of the question. <laughs> So the question is this so you know one of the things that that they talked about in the film was the way that Kathy Moriarty in particular was treated and like, this is the kind of thing that Amy would always like research and point out and so uh, apparently and they mentioned that they, they they've alluded to it in the past in other um, discussions from what they were saying um you know basically Moriarty was mistreated on set by the Nero and probably mm-hmm. Scorsese also I mean, like literally he would grab her hair he would smack her in order to quote unquote get the performance out of her and then Amy's making this this mm-hmm. argument of like you know why can't you trust her to be a good actor actress and do her job you would never treat a man like that um so just what were your thoughts on that whole sequence
1: i think you're asking me but um i wanted to pause because i just spoke about something and see if Jody wanted to well say that maybe. was that was your question because he got the boxing yes. question well do you have any thoughts i do Jody? but I, i'll let you go i definitely I, have I'll let you go. go ahead. well i mean i'm glad that amy's bringing it up and talking about amy nicholson i think it, well and I almost I almost referenced this in the method conversation method I think method acting can be like just as damaging as sort of the auteur theory because it, it tends I mean it's not always men but it was you know the predominant sort of practitioners of method were were a, a lot of times men in the 70s and it was seen like something that both women and men were like learning uh, you know as theater students but the people who were getting sort of like acclaimed as being method actors were were men for the most part and it did seem like sort of like an opportunity for them to to, uh, to abuse the people around them, uh, particularly the women. Um, but it's not just the method acting sort of training. I think I think we definitely need to have these conversations and it makes it a little harder to engage in some of these these classic films, I think, you know, because the same thing happened in ta- Last Tango in Paris if I understand correctly, that it was essentially like pretty much a rape on camera and it's, it's hard to it's hard to watch those again. I was a big Tarantino fan, especially a Kill Bill duology and, you know, Oh, and then getting a little bit more uncomfortable with, Kill, you know, with uh, Tarantino, and, and and then also hearing about the rampant abuse of the actresses, um, Uma Thurman, you know, kind of inciting a car accident with her in it. I mean, it's it's important to talk about. It's it makes a lot of classic films kind of unbearable in some ways.
0: Well, I, I do want to bring Jody in, but I, but I want to actually expand because you know, at the in the first part of the episode, they will always talk about the previous film and their listeners' response to it. And so the previous film, of course, was <laughs> Annie Hall, right? And of course, that's Woody Allen, who we know has this huge history, not only as a filmmaker, but it's like this sort of poster child for toxic masculinity. And a big part of that conversation that I thought was, was really, really interesting that they kind of came to a consensus on was that, you know, Annie Hall, you know, that that, um, that character is almost a stand-in for a lot of society, which kind of said, you know, I met this interesting guy, this Woody Allen. And then I sort of moved on from him because he just was never gonna change and become a better person. And I think. These these parts of the conversation all sort of jive together
1: right it's like men are excused for narcissism and violence okay so like paul sheer said some i think it was paul said something about you know jack jack Lamotta is like driven by emotions and i'm like and and basically kind of said something about the character's kind of childlike in some ways although i don't think he used the word childlike and basically every human being is driven by emotions but like part of the process of maturing is learning how not to act exclusively out of our emotions that really was interesting to me, like because the you know they, they kept playing clips where he was like pushing and pushing and pushing and needling people, right? And you know do everything for me, and then I'm gonna criticize the way you're doing it. You know all of this sort of this need for attention and proof of adoration and narcissism and and violence. It you know what I what I wonder is you know the movie wasn't you know universally appreciated in its time, but it did land a spot on this this list. Give me mistake
0: steak, Becky. and it's like maybe. <laughs> (laughs) I want the stick, (laughs) Vicky.
1: Well, I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering if, like, because you know, because Amy Nicholson kept saying, like, why did they have to be so blatant? You know, like, why does he have to say he ain't ain't no, you know, he ain't pretty no more, you know, or something like that? After because it's like he already made the point. Like, we know what he's, you know, we know what he's doing. We know he's messing up his face because his wife made this offhand comment about him being good looking or whatever. But I think it had to be so blatant, maybe, so that people didn't, you know, like adore this character because you see that happening with like the gangster movies and all that stuff. And like, even with like Taxi Driver, you see these you see men in the 70s, like really identifying with these like incredibly toxic characters, and like Goodfellas and, and Scarface and and not, you know, and, and it kind of becoming like this, this bad reflection back where like, they see this image of this man, and then they like take on those qualities of that man, or they try to, you know, um in their real lives, and they're very damaging qualities, not just for themselves, but for the people around them. So I think I think this guy has had to be so obvious and, and brutish and unlikable so that people wouldn't I you know hold him up as like a scarface.
2: but I think that's who he was in real life like there was a part in the podcast where one of them says that Lamada called his second wife Vicky and said was I really that bad and she was like you were yeah. worse <laughs> you know that's really yeah. he was a bastard he was a fucking was, dang, but was it also Vicky <laughs> who
1: said that like De Niro looked so much like him that she almost slept with him yes
2: right <laughs> that was <laughs> Funny, but it's
1: also like it, it, it kind of underscores like domestic violence, I think, in a real way. You know, they, they kind of touched upon that in the podcast about like some people being like, you know, I don't believe that this woman would stay with this guy. And it's like, okay, well, let's, how much time do you have? Do you want to start investigating the like complex mm-hmm. psychological dynamics yeah. of, of domestic abuse, you know?
2: But um, Back back to your question um, about the the um, rough treatment of Kathy Moriarty on the set. I, I wonder about, because they brought, like you said, they brought up in past movies how harshly they treated women on on the set and not trusting them to act um in this particular case this was her first time acting and who knows what was going on behind this like maybe they were doing scenes and it was like wow this she's terrible or she's not getting the right you know whatever whatever i don't know I'm, i'm i'm saying i i would want more information um before i just conclude you know oh well they didn't let her act you know she, she had never Yeah, but before. that's the thing is,
1: before, like, you know? that's why she couldn't get her SAG card, you know? How many times do you see a man in his first movie, like, you know, getting acclaim? Like, oh, wow, you know, or whatever. Or, like, Harrison Ford was a fucking carpenter, you know? I mean, maybe that's ho- Hollywood lore or whatever, but you didn't see people, like... well, Also, maybe it just goes back to male and female roles in films, right? Because you don't often see men getting harangued and harassed and, uh, you know, and stalked and, you know, and, and, and maltreated. The way and it, it, we, you know, we do with ingenues and in movies. So, like, they're not set up for the same level of abuse, you know, because they have to prove themselves and get their acting chops and stuff like that. And it was, it was really interesting when Paul Shear said, like, I wonder what would have happened if this had been like Jodie Foster who wanted the role, you know, like if she would have been as as maltreated as this woman in her first movie. And it's, I think that's the wrong. It's an interesting question to ask, but I think it's the wrong question to ask. I think instead of being like, well, if there was more in a more established. You know, film actress in this movie who they could trust as an actor, maybe they wouldn't have had to slap her face and pull her hair. know, that's an interesting but bad question to ask. Because the question to be asked is, is why are so many of the roles in movies that we want to make these roles where women walk in with attitude, and they don't have much to say, or they're the catalyst for a man to do something, and they're murdered, like in the first 15 minutes, or they, they basically deal with a ton of abuse throughout the whole movie, and they don't have any agency you know, and I'm not saying that those aren't, that wasn't the real role of the real woman. I'm just saying we have to look at the movies that we've told that we've made and, and why we're telling those stories. There's so many more stories we can be telling. So, you know, with complex female roles and dynamics and characters so that when we do have a film where the, you know, where there's a woman who's in an abusive dynamic, because that's the story, it's not the exclusive role that a woman has to play, you know, or that female actresses have to play.
0: Well, I, I guess at this point that it brings us to a question that sort of fits the podcast unspooled. So uh, my understanding that this is this was your first time hearing this podcast so I'm going to ask you uh, Jodi and, and Emily would you listen to this podcast again yeah I would I would listen to it
2: again <laughs> I was very disappointed as I previously mentioned in the Goodfellas <laughs> episode very disappointed but I think they did a really good job with Raging Bull so I would I, I'm, I'm definitely going to listen again uh, pick out probably one of my other um, well-loved <laughs> why movies and... why don't
1: you pick a movie you don't like as much and see how
0: damn
1: <laughs> 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 Why don't you pick a movie why don't you pick a movie you hate and see what you think of
0: it's <laughs> actually not a bad idea I think I've done that with this show myself <laughs>
1: um, it might be a bad idea to pick another favorite movie oh, yeah I'm gonna listen to more episodes there I definitely kind of want to start at the beginning with this with this show and kind of power through and, and I, I just love the idea of it and like I think that watching all of the AFI top 100 movies is such a is such a interesting task yeah so I I sent a, in the in the chat, I put a link to the AFI list, and I took the little quiz on it where you can check off the you know movies in the list to see how many of the AFI top 100 you've seen. And I've seen 53 of the top 100. I may have seen parts because I studied film. I'm pretty sure I've seen parts of a lot of these movies. But if I couldn't like remember having seen the movie all the way through, I didn't what, count it. What
2: did it. y'all think about him, Them being like, "There's no Tom Cruise movies in the top 100."
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, what Tom? Tom Cruise? what (laughs) hey wait a minute you know tom cruise magnolia did a pretty good job
1: i was thinking a few good men like that was a movie i watched a ton as a kid for some reason it seemed like it was going to be in the in the classic category That was a
0: good movie a few good men was a good movie they pointed out that I think I mean I could be misstating this but I think they that there are no movies from the 80s on the AFI list huh there, there is from E.T. The Raging Bulls from, yes.
1: 1980. Bull is from 1980
0: so like that's the last one no that's-
1: E.T. is on the list and that's from the
0: 80s oh you're right yep.
1: okay Raiders of the Lost Ark is on the list it's from 81 I'm looking at the list now Tootsie from 82
0: well maybe I just made that up maybe I may have misheard what they said maybe they, it was something else that they said along the same lines but I, I did want to say that um, I think what you'll find interesting is that one of the features in the early episodes is that they don't pick in order what they're going to listen to. They had like this little dice that somebody made for them, like a single die, and they would roll (laughs) it, and it was like, it's like a it's a, it was like a hundred sided die and it would always say, all right, 49. Uh-huh. So we go to the next, you know, to the next thing on the list on you know, number 49. And, um, and then also, you know, I always feel kind of bad, like some, some FOMO because, um, they have a pretty active Facebook presence and like a lot of their fans would be on there talking about the episodes, but I've always listened to the episodes time delayed. So I can never actually interact with any of these different things. So you'll see that also. You'll say, Hey, let's you know, be, you know, uh, we're going to do, we're going to do singing in the rain, you know, call in for your best rendition of tap dancing on the phone and people will actually do it. It's, it's pretty hilarious to like hear people like doing their versions of things. You heard in this episode, it was um, raging animals like raging parrot, you know, raging chimpanzee, <laughs> that kind of stuff. So they always do that as well.
1: I like that aspect of the show. Um, so seven of the one hundred movies are from the eighties. I just oh, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, but what do you guys think about the fact that there's only two of these lists? There was one from ninety eight, and then they updated it in two thousand seven, and they haven't updated it since two thousand seven. What do you guys think about that?
0: Well, I mean, what I would say is, um, as somebody who is like kind of a film geek. I made it a point to like get a bunch of these lists years ago, like maybe seven or eight years ago. It's like the AFI list, the British film list and, you know, Ebert's list of best films. And I'm forgetting one right now. It's one of the big ones. But I looked at all of them and I was kind of all right. I'm, I'm going to make my list of films to watch from these. And what I noticed is that like each list has its own bias. So like obviously the BFI is mostly British, but then it does have a lot of American films. And then you have like Ebert whose movies are always like, if it's a pretty looking movie or, you know, there's certain things he sort of leaned towards for some reason. And then some lists just are not very good at all. You kind of go, why are these films in this list? Like, there's a list of, like, directors' famous uh, favorite films from a certain period of time. It's like, these are some pretty strange films. But um, I like the fact that the list is being updated maybe not too often, because if you did it every year, it would be too volatile. Um, maybe twice in whatever... Two decades is not enough, but you know. I think they tend to take a lot of time with these lists. At least every,
2: at least once every ten years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, you would have expected a new one at least in like 2016 to 2018. You know.
2: Yeah, yeah. I I think they should update it at least once a decade. But I just, I just did the uh, quiz. How many have you seen? I've seen 42 out of the 100. So
1: you got some work to do. Yeah,
0: exactly. That's a lot I'm missing. I think the last time I did it, I was up to like 85. Wow, that's a lot.
1: Yeah, but he's intentionally trying to like check stuff off. And...
0: Oh, okay. I'm intentionally doing it, and, I, and I'm in a film group on Facebook where they are crazy. Like, there's one person who literally watches a film every single day, and I think he's up to like 1,500 oh. films. And like, that's way too crazy. I you don't, keep a list of the movies
1: you watch, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, of course, yeah. And look, I, I'll give a spoiler alert for um, for Jadi. So, you know, I, I'm not a, I'm not afraid to say this. My favorite film of all time is Forrest Gump, which is a very controversial film, and Paul does not. Like Forrest Gump at all. And You heard him allude to it at the beginning of this episode when they were talking about Annie Hall versus Forrest Gump. And one of the viewers, like, called him out. One of the listeners called him out for saying, You know, why do you like uh, Annie Hall where well, he doesn't change and Woody Allen's character doesn't change? But you can't stand Forrest Gump where well, he also doesn't change. He can't really defend himself. He sort of says, Amy, can you sort of explain on my behalf uh, what I'm trying to say? He just cannot stand Forrest Gump.
1: Well, what he comes down to, I think, if I remember correctly, because I just listened to it right before we recorded, it, is he says, Well, with Woody Allen and like, and Annie Hall, like, the point is, is, is that Alvi and Woody Allen know that that character's not gonna change. And like, that's kind of the point of the movies versus like Forrest Gump, you know, he doesn't even wanna leave his neighborhood in New York, his very small neighborhood in New York, versus like Woody Allen has seen, I'm mean, not Woody Allen, uh, Forrest Gump has seen like the world. And, and if he hasn't been changed by seeing like the world, that seems like a failure to him of the movie. All I
0: gotta say is I'm gonna challenge Paul Shorts, uh, Paul Share, to a duel. <laughs> if he wants to beat me <laughs> at 10 paces before dawn, I'm there for it because that's my movie, man. I can- not i can't you
1: guys should just box it out <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i'll do his
2: layup. <laughs> if you're gonna duel him i i will duel amy <laughs> over goodfellas <laughs> so-
1: what I want to know, is there more to discuss about toxic masculinity at, in this movie? I know that it sounds like you were kind of wrapping up this episode, Maurice, but I think I think we're letting ourselves off the hook too much. I think there's more to discuss about toxic masculinity. Well,
0: I think the answer is yes. I mean, look, one, one point that you said earlier, you brought up, and I think it's the fact that toxic masculinity, it hurts everybody, everybody within the blast field. So one of the things you pointed out was how the character of uh, Lamada is always sort of needling people. And you know, I made the joke about, you know, giving the steak because he was talking. To, to Vicky, um, but of course, you know Joe Pesci. I mean, look, I would not want to be an actor playing Joe Pesci in that film because you have the Nero just menacing the poor guy throughout the entire film from the beginning to the end. And of course, Paul brought up that Lamotta, like the actual real life guy, didn't even mention his own brother in the book that he wrote about the actual events because that's the kind of guy he is. Like, he didn't really even care, like bring him up into the into the um, into the narrative. I, I can only assume it's because his brother uh, wouldn't have wanted to be mentioned or maybe they had a, a final falling out. And just as a side, oh, yeah, they had a falling out. Out. Um a, a side note. Well, that
1: like you walked away from him right? At the end?
0: Uh, apparently a sad note is that um the brother died in December. Like just now. Oh Mm-hmm. Poor guy. What
1: kind of struck me is I wrote, I, you know, cause I was keeping notes and uh, on my phone while I was listening to the, the second time I, I wrote down or I kept, I kept note of this, some of the dialogue. And this one thing that kind of struck me is you should have looked out for me a little bit. And he kept saying a little bit and a bit and a bit, like he was just looking for like a little bit more from his brother. And that's where he's, he sort of said, I could have been. I
2: think that was from on the waterfront. Yes.
1: No, 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 no. Yeah, it was. But the, but in this movie, he references, yes. they yes. use the on the waterfront yeah. oh, quote, oh, I got quote, yes. And they said, okay. but he's saying it to his brother. And then he, he said something about t- having tiny hands. And that was like an insecurity he had. What is he compensating for? And that whole conversation of hit me in the face, you know, just kind of like relentlessly like pushing him to hit him in the face. And his brother saying, like, what are you trying to prove? And then one thing that it was Paul Shear who actually, I think, made this reference that when they're kind of picking on their wives, like they're kind of ganging up on their wives together, Joe Pesci's character is kind of like almost like flirting with his brother. Like he's kind of trying to impress his brother a little bit. And I haven't seen the movie, of course, but at least not recently. But I wonder, what do you guys think of that? That like kind of like being pushy and aggressive with women is almost like a way of impressing the men around you.
2: Well, first, I would like to first, first I'd like to say that (laughs) tiny hands line was dumb. I thought it was, I, and I thought, I thought their, the, the importance of it to them, I thought was grossly overstated because what he was saying is my hands are tiny. Uh, so I'll never be a heavyweight. I'll never be able to fight Joe Lewis, who's the best. And I, you know, I know I could beat him. Like to me, the, the first of all, tiny hands don't have nothing to do with nothing in terms of, you know, like your weight, You're a heavyweight, cause you weigh over 200 pounds or, you know, whatever. But anyway, that aside, oh shit, I forgot your original
0: question. My bad. <laughs> well, my question was about- but, but Johnny, I would but, but i need to ask though i mean look dude look if i had tiny hands like i'm six feet tall if i had like like a five foot tall man's hands i would be really insecure i would like keep them in my pocket mm, yeah I, don't- I mean it's always
1: like everybody's insecure about something about themselves and that's the thing you focus on like relentlessly
0: i feel
2: like i feel like that wasn't really a thing though because i don't remember anywhere else in the movie where his hands play a part in any way like it doesn't yeah, stop him from believing in himself it does at, at least as a fighter he, he doesn't lack any confidence in the ring you know what I mean he's not like uh, to me just that just didn't make any sense and to me it doesn't, bring, it doesn't
1: he's compensating right like he's he's pushing the swagger because he's insecure not just about maybe the tiny hands but the tiny hands are like a, a symbol of the things he doesn't think he's good enough to be loved they were talking about imposter syndrome at one point in the thing not he wants to be adored like they, they even said that this doesn't even seem to be a guy who actually likes boxing like where, whereas you can tell like Rocky loves boxing This guy just wants to be famous. He just wants to be adored. He wants that care from people. You know, he wants to be taken care of and preened and appreciated. You know,
0: well to Emily's point, when you think about it like this, we we have this this person um, who you know is not a very nice guy. He sort of figures it out in real life. So Jake LaMotta has his film made about him, and as a result of that, he becomes this sort of celebrity in his own time. He appears on David Letterman, and they play that clip where he's like trying to be funny, but he's just not you know a very entertaining person, and yet all all the victims in his life, you know, his brother Joey, his, um, wife, Dicky, his first uh, wife, Irma, all these sort of victims of what he did to them, you know, their stories are not told. And I think it sort of goes to Emily's earlier point about, you know, why is it that certain stories are getting told? And I, and I would like, I think my easy answer in the past would have been, well, these are more dramatic stories. You want to sort of see like this sort of jerk character be your main character. But when I think about it, it's like, well, that's sort of like an easy way out because, you know, Rocky is not this sort of vicious person who's like mistreating his his wife and his, and his own brother. And I do have to wonder like if we live in a world where more women got to make films, or more people of color got to make films. Black folks got to make films. You know, maybe this story gets told from the point of view of somebody else, whether it's you know Vicky Lamada or whether it's Joey or whether it's like the Ring Man or somebody else. So it's not like this guy who is not really even that talented, not even really a great boxer, being centered and then put at the number four slot on the AFI list of best films in American history. And that's to me that, that to me that's like that's like an effect of toxic masculinity that he's somehow lifted up as a result of what. He's so
1: doing. I think it really so it was at like the number twenty four spot. I think. And- in the the 1998 list and then it like it went from 24 to 4 so it rose up or fell down however way you want to look at it 20 slots in that period of time and I think what that really what that really speaks to is not so much a people idolizing the character I don't think he got the adoration he wanted even in his biopic I think it's about all the technical aspects of the film that were so revolutionary and and all of these young sort of like wannabe auteurs watching it admiring the sound effects, admiring the editing, admiring, you know, like being in the camera with the action for the first time, you know, and all that stuff. And I think then the, then those people are now in the AFI, you know, in 2007, or you know, making the second list. So they they rank it higher because it was influential to them, I think, as filmmakers.
0: Yeah, and it's funny because um, like like Emily and I have never had this like the full discussion about auteur theory. We could do a whole episode on that, it came out. So, <laughs> right. oh, I'm to <laughs> want to correct something I said earlier. So I mentioned like the list that I use and I mentioned AFI. Um, I also uh, relied on a list called uh Sight and Sound which is this sort of uh, legendary list that's been around for a very, very long time and they, I think they're like every 12 years for some strange reason. I may be wrong about that. But it's a great list for like a good variety of films and they even sort of give you like the most important quote unquote film from each country in the world. It's so like the, the best Australian film, the best. And then this other thing I want to point out is um, um th- there's a, a documentary series called The Story of Film. uh, came out 2011 11, and I watched it in fourteen, and it kind of like changed my life about about like film history. Basically, they go like to the very first film, like that, like there's this train leaving a train station. Yeah. It's like ten seconds long, and he like starts with that, he, and he explains in detail like every innovation that filmmakers make uh, throughout the history of film. And one of the things I really loved about that is that in in the twenties, world in the fifteen in the, in the teens and the twenties, he slows down and he focuses on women filmmakers, and he points out that there was this sort of golden age where women were you know you know, getting the opportunity to produce, direct, write, and really innovate. He even, like, points out how, like, this one director basically created, like, split-screen shots and created, like, certain sort of cut techniques. And so for anybody who wants to get Mm -hmm. more into, like, film watching, I recommend Mark Cousins' The Story of Film and Odyssey. I think it's fantastic. And on that note, any final thoughts from either of you about today's uh, podcast, Unspooled?
2: Well, I thought, uh, I guess I don't have anything new or... (laughs) <laughs>
0: <You> know, different <laughs> to
2: say than before. I, I enjoyed the podcast. I will listen to uh, more episodes. I'm still salty about the Goodfellas episode, but, you know, I will
0: I will try to look past. And I'm salty about the Forrest <laughs> Gump episode. Uh, Paul Share, I know where to find you, buddy. I'm going to see you soon. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, I think I think it was an interesting show. And I think going back to what you said about the history of film, Maurice, yeah, women have been pioneers and innovators in the early days of, of this medium back when people weren't taking it seriously. And it, you know, they got kind of shoved out. But it's really nice to see them sort of getting back into it. And I'm excited to to hear more of the list and more of I think Amy's uh, thoughts in particular. <laughs> <laughs> She's definitely my favorite of the two co-hosts. I have to. Know. I,
0: I am willing to admit I definitely have a crush on Amy Nicholson. Yeah, I definitely wanted to give a shout out to a director from um, from the mid twentieth century, Ida Lupino. She's covered very in a lot of detail in that in that documentary series, "History of Film,"
1: and a few this. other ones.
0: Yes, exactly. And, and so you know. Oh, and that, that's that's the other. I had to say her name also. Um, Lois Weber. She was making films like in 1913. And she just I mean, she like the techniques that like um, Lucas was using in Star Wars, like she made some of those things in like 1913. So I want to make sure I mentioned both of those names before we uh, dropped out for the day. So on that note, well, I
2: actually did have something I did have something new and different. Um, one other thing, one last thing i have to say about this episode is that usually i dislike when podcasts take about you know 10 minutes 15 minutes to get into the topic and in this episode obviously raging bull they talked about all kinds of other stuff yeah well not all kinds of stuff but it was it was not related to raging bull for 10 minutes i did not mind because it was movie related it was related to a previous episode and and that's okay they did not talk about what they did this weekend they did not talk about You know how their relationship with their significant other all of that that I hate so I applaud them I, I, I
0: will agree with Jody I think it's one of the things that they're really good at in this podcast like they're very business like and yet there's just enough of sort of like you know fuzzy stuff in to make it feel more relaxed and it's the same way every week they sort of come in a little bit soft and they sort of talk about like other you know like previous week's film and some of their uh, listeners and you know yada 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 and then they, like, they get right into it and it's always a very tight show which I really just admire as you know somebody who is uh, new to the podcast game all right all right now you can
1: (laughs) say i get to pick again i think next time
0: (laughs) all right on that note thank you for listening to this week's episode of did you hear that podcast featuring emily stat strong and Jody, no middle name, Window, as well as me, your referee, Maurice Carlos Ruffin. Thank you, and keep your ears out. That's a terrible tagline.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we'll work on it.
0: We'll work keep on it. Keep your
1: ears out for us. If you just say it quicker, it's not as bad. Keep your ears tuned.
0: <laughs> We're going to box your ears. All right, I'm going to try to close it one more time. <laughs> <laughs> why are we laughing and thank you for listening to this week's episode of did you hear that podcast featuring emily stat strong and joddy no middle name window i'm your referee Maurice carlos ruffin and we hope you heard that <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's a better one that's better
0: i think it was a pretty good episode i think we did good